0: Thank you, Brother Dan. Give your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 27. We're going to continue what we began last week, and that's focusing on the uh, crucifixion of Christ. And um, let's go ahead and read verse 35 and 36. We read them last week, but these are kind of our key verses tonight. Okay, thank you Dan. Our, our focus uh, again from last week continued to this week is when Matthew writes they crucified him. and Then in verse 36 Matthew tells us they sitting down they watched him there. Now we're going to again do some review but I'll remind you I don't have the verse in our notes tonight, but in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches his first sermon there on the day of Pentecost. And he reminds the Jews and the Gentiles as well. They are not guiltless of what they did when crucifying the Savior. But he also told them it was by the predetermined counsel of God. What does that mean? Before it happened. Exactly right. So my question being, what was going to stop it from happening? Nothing. God sent his son into the world to die for our sins. But woe to them who brought it about. They were not guiltless. And so we talked about this last week when Matthew tells us they crucified him. They sat down. They watched him there. We found out from John's Gospel, John 19, and also in Matthew 27, later on in this same chapter, uh, those that watched him there in the context were the Roman soldiers. Now, again, why were the soldiers there? What was their purpose that day? They They were doing the crucifixion, exactly right, and I'm about 99.9% sure that they were probably specially trained for this. They were, if for lack of a better word, this is not an official name, but certainly the crucifixion crew. That was their job. In fact, we know that later on, uh, when Joseph of Arimathea came to beg the body of Jesus, uh, Pilate was concerned whether or not he was dead or not. And so he calls the Roman centurion. Because that was her job—to uh, you know, make sure the crucifixion being carried out. Uh, so that was their job. So when Matthew talks about those sitting there, he's focusing. Now there were others there as well, but these Roman soldiers, these centurions were there. Uh, to the centurion and his, and his band of soldiers were there to watch the procedure being carried out. So they were authorized uh, by uh, the Roman government. And they were authorized to carry out the death sentence that Pilate had passed on, and so it was in their hands, these Roman soldiers, that our savior was delivered. And so, keep in mind, uh, first of all, think about this: for the Roman soldier, what kind of duty was this for them? You think it was the first one they ever did? No. So, for lack of a better word, it would be routine. They'd done it before. They were trained for this. That was their responsibility. So, with no concern at all, complete injustice, they carry out that task. But we also know in the light of the whole story, and of course the Jewish people were involved, the leaders, if you will, The soldiers were involved. They mocked him, crowned him as a mock king, if you will, mocking him as a king, giving him a robe of scarlet, the crown of thorns. And of course, they called him the king of the Jews. Do you think they really thought that he was? They were making fun. I mean, can you imagine that? (laughs) You're the king of the Jews? You're bleeding. You've been beaten. You can hardly stand up, and you're the king of the Jews. We looked at three things last week to begin our lesson. First of all was the circumstances. And uh, we do know from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, uh, we know without a doubt that this was the scheme of the Jewish religious leaders. What What did they want to do with Jesus? Get rid of him. Didn't care how. Of course, they wanted him dead, and we know that. Uh, they didn't matter, you know, how unjust it was, but they, they, they wanted him crucified. But sad thing is, at the beginning of the week, most of the crowd cried out, Hosanna, save us. But now, would that same crowd cry out? Crucify him. So, the leaders, Jewish leaders began it, but according to Mark 15, Verse 13, the common people joined in, and they cried out, crucify him. You know the story. Uh, it was a common thing to release a prisoner every year at that time. And Pilate hoped to wash his hands of crucifying Jesus. And so he offers them a man named Barabbas. And they, he, in fact, he was sure they would let Barabbas go, because he was a known uh, insurrectionist, Uh, Murder had happened during one insurrection, he was part of that, and he was condemned to die. And so Pilate was sure. And he said, which one do you want? Do you want Barabbas crucified, or do you want Jesus crucified? What did they say? Hmm? Now, wait a minute. They didn't want him crucified. They wanted Jesus crucified. Yeah. Who do you want me to release? That's Barabbas. Well, what about Jesus? What should I do with him? Crucify him. So that's the circumstances. We talked about the scene, and we're not going to go into the same detail we we did last week. Uh, But remember, this is uh, uh, the crucifixion of the Lamb of God. And the writer of Hebrews compares it to the day of atonement, uh, when the priest was sacrificed uh, for the sins of the nation for that year. And unlike other sacrifices, they didn't eat that meat. They took that meat, the body of the sacrifice, outside the camp, and they burned it outside the camp. So it was this crucifixion took place outside the city limits of Jerusalem, and of course that was to fulfill the word of God. Now the actual place was called Golgotha. What did that mean? Anybody remember? Place of the skull, because evidently it kind of had a formation in the rocks there It looked like a skull. Uh, Luke taught, taught, uses the uh, Greek name. He said they come to a place in Luke twenty three thirty three, which is called Calvary. And of course, that is where they crucified him. So we see the circumstances, uh, the Jewish leaders, but also joined by most, many of the common people. Uh, we see this, the, uh, the scene that's outside of Jerusalem and the time. And this is interesting because, uh, it just so happened. Now I I say it just so happened. We know it more. God ordained it. But it happened during Passover. Now, what did Passover represent? Anybody remember? From Egypt. And they had to sacrifice a Passover lamb. And could it be any lamb? What kind of lamb did it have to be? A perfect lamb, okay? And so, Christ was crucified on the 14th day of Nisan, about our April... And again, during the time of Passover. Now, if you remember from studying the New Testament, uh, even though the Jewish leaders were looking for a way to kill him or arrest him, they didn't want to do it during Passover. Because there were so many Jews in town. And Jesus had, you know, even though many rejected him, they had a lot of followers as well. And they didn't want to uh, incur the wrath of the people so they said, let's let's get rid of him, but let's not do it now. That's what they said. But what did God say? Now's the time. Exactly right. Now is the time. So the time is important. It it was Passover. And by the way, uh, tradition tells us that at a certain time on that day of Passover, uh, the uh, one of the priests would go to the highest part of the temple, and he would blow the trumpet. Signifying the Passover lamb had been slain. The Passover lamb had been slain. So then we looked at for a little while of what those soldiers saw. Now remember, uh, they sat down and they watched him there. First of all, they were looking at the most amazing event in history. Do you think they recognized that at first? No, just another crucifixion. Why was it the most amazing event in history? Yeah. All of history points toward that. All of history. Second of all, they saw how perfect the crucified one was. Now remember, Peter reminds us as they walked by, they reviled him. But Peter said he reviled not Again. And it literally means they threw words at him. They hurled words. But Peter says he didn't throw them back. He did not curse them. He did not revile them. In fact, instead of reviling them, what did he do for them? He prayed for them. Father, forgive them. For well, they know not what they do. Wow. i got to tell you, folks, I'm not sure I could have prayed that prayer that day. But Jesus did. You think he meant what he said? Sure he did. That's exactly what he meant. So they also saw a very mysterious phenomenon. The Bible says they sat down there to watch him. But all of a sudden, at noon, what happened? It became dark. Now, I get the impression it was not just a natural darkness, but we know it wasn't. Because it was so dark, I, I doubt they could see hardly anything. In fact, somebody read Matthew 27.45, please. Anybody got that? Matthew 27.45. Do I have it in your notes? Oh, sorry about that. It says, but from the sixth hour, that's noon, uh, there was darkness until the ninth hour, about three o'clock. But also uh, during that day, the the Bible says that veil to the temple was torn from top to bottom. The Bible says there were graves opened, and many of those saints who had died came up out of the that grave. I, I would ask the question to those soldiers Did those things happen at any other crucifixion they had done? No. They'd never seen that before. So, this is no ordinary criminal, no ordinary sufferer. He was, in fact, the creator of heaven and earth, and heaven and earth reacted to his death. The fourth thing this is interesting. What they saw and heard brought about conviction and their conversion. Now think about that. So once they saw this, did I give you Matthew 27, 24? But the Bible says this, when the centurion and they that were with him, when they saw, as they watched Jesus, the earthquake and the things that happened that day, the Bible says they greatly feared, they were afraid. Did they have a reason to be? Yeah, they do it. And they end up saying, truly, this is the Son of God. They had never witnessed anything like it before. And without a doubt, of the many miracles at Calvary, to me this is a miracle of grace The miracle of amazing grace. Now remember, Jesus had prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And God softened their heart. And I believe we can expect to see those soldiers meet them in heaven. I'm convinced it's the answer to the prayer that Christ prayed on Calvary. Father, forgive them. So that's what they saw. But how many know that's that's important, but the question is, what do we see? What do we see there at Calvary? First of all, we see the unveiling character of man. Somebody read Ephesians 5.13. Okay, what does light do? Exposes. Yeah, it exposes everything. Keep that in mind. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 9. Okay, of course, John is talking about Jesus Christ being the true light. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, says something about our heart. What's it say? Jeremiah 17, 9. Okay, now listen, first of all, again, John is very clear. He tells us that Christ is the true light. He's the essential, divine, all-revealing light. Now think about that. And so because Christ is that true light, all men, all people, and all things... Are exposed in his sight. Think about that. The psalmist in Psalm 139 said, Whither shall I flee from thy spirit? But with God, darkness is the same as night. There is no difference. <laughs> and the worst thing talked about in scripture about. The fallen human nature were exemplified in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Jeremiah, God tells us that our heart is desperately wicked. You remember the time when the young man came to Jesus and called Jesus good? Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's none good but one. Now, Christ wasn't denying that he was good, but he realized that young man had no idea who he was talking to. And so, <clears throat> the question is, other than Jesus, who is good? No one. No one. Jeremiah, God said to Jeremiah, our heart is desperately wicked. And we saw that demonstrated very clearly the way the world treated the very Son of God. let's take some verses. Matthew 8 verse 20 Matthew 8:34. Amen Now this is only a couple of examples. Now remember, Jesus was born into the world he loved. Isn't that true? He was born into the world that He loved. What a God. What a savior. And yet the people He came to save were determined. To have him killed. They were determined to destroy him. And would you agree that he constantly went about doing good? Can you think of one bad or wrong thing he ever did? No, there's none. And look how many times you read in the scriptures, he saw the crowd was moved with compassion. So he goes about doing good. He believed many who were distressed. I'm reading through the Gospels right now, my daily Bible reading, and, and several different occasions, the whole multitude would come and they simply wanted healed. And on several occasions, the Gospel writers tell us he healed every one of them. It wasn't a show like we see today, there was nothing fake about it. But why did He heal him? He had compassion. He ministered to their souls. He ministered to their bodies. Even of needy people. He was concerned about those. And yet, very few really ever appreciated what he did. And what a sad thought. Jesus made the statement. The foxes have a place to live. The birds of the air have a place to live. But what about me? What do he say? I have nowhere to lay my head. John 15, look at verse 25. I think about that. Now remember, in one occasion, he rid a man of a demon possession. Jesus asked him, What's your name? He said, My name is Legion, for we are many. He cast them into the swine, and the swine ran over the, into the sea, choked themselves. And by the way, it certainly didn't kill the demons. But guess what the people of town wanted Jesus to do? Leave. We don't want you here. And Dan, you just read John fifteen twenty-five. Jesus said, they hated me without what? What's that mean? Yeah, there was no reason to hate him. If you used reason, what would you hat what would you come up with? You'd love him, you'd receive him. But again, fulfillment of Scripture. And the reason is Romans chapter eight, look at verse seven. What what does a carnal mind mean, basically? Anybody have any idea? I don't need no deep... Yeah, fleshly. Yeah, we think like the world. Now, the carnal mind is at odds with God. And because the Bible says it, we know that's true, but we know it's true by experience. So that tells me, in order to be right with God, our minds have to change. Wouldn't you agree? And so... He was unwelcome here. They hated him without a cause. He gave them every reason to admire him. Everywhere he went. But they had a chronic hatred for him. And the reason is the carnal mind is at enmity with God. It is an enemy of God. And even today, multitudes go through the form, a ritual, if you will, of paying homage to God. But it's a God of their own imagination. Now remember, the way Christ came into our world, is that how they expected him to come? No. They had a God of their imagination, but it, that what he wasn't that. And people today have a form of paying homage to a God, but one of their own imagination. And understand, those kind of people hate the living God. Did they hate him? Oh, with a passion. And if it were possible, if they had their way about it, they would rid the universe of him. First Timothy, Chapter Three, verse sixteen. Without controversy, great
1: mystery of God, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in spirit, seen
0: of angels, preached to the Gentiles, believed on as a Lord, received God as Lord. Thank you, Dan. Now, we spent quite a bit of time looking at the humanity of Christ a few weeks ago. And uh, Timothy says, God was manifest in the flesh. How did that happen? I mean, how, how do we know that? Who was that? Jesus. Amen. He was God manifested. God displayed in the flesh. And so they hate the living God and they wanted everything to do to get rid of him and that is very evident from how they treated Christ because even Paul reminds us he was God manifest in the flesh let's get rid of him so they hated him they hounded him to death and the only thing that would satisfy them would be what? His death. Not until he's crucified. So at Calvary, the real character of man was revealed. God came to his own, and not only did they not receive him, they crucified him, they killed the sa- Savior. And at Calvary, the wickedness of their desperate heart was revealed. God said his very best to save them from their sins. And they nailed him to a tree. So number one, what what do we see? The character of humanity. And by the way, I think you'll agree, I don't like what I see there. I don't like it a bit. But not only do we see the character of man, we see the unveiling of sin. Now think about that. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 4. What's God saying? I've sent prophets. And i begged you what? Don't do it. What is it an abominable thing that God hates? And I want to tell you, God hates it, but most people regard it so lightly because they commit it every day. And that's sin. Folks, we forget how God hates sin. In fact, what was it that caused Adam and Eve to be tossed out of the garden? Sin. What caused the woe of the world? Sin. Man. And we understand sin is an awful monster. And we certainly hate hearing about that thing. Call sin, but oh, how we're ready to make an excuse for it. Sin. Now, by the way, what does Satan try to do with sin? Huh? He encourages it. So, does he make it look bad? No, he glamorizes it. If you only tried this, <laughs> just give it a try. Take one bite, right? So he's very subtle. He tries everything he can to make it attractive. Does it work? Sure, it does. It's kind of like a bait on a on a fishing hook, right? It looks good. But boy, when you bite, what happens? Yeah, yeah, you're caught. You're caught. And one of the one of the so many things about the incarnation when God became flesh through Christ. But what it, one of the things it did, the incarnation brought light to the hidden things of darkness. Now, uh, I never was one who would go into a bar. I just never did drink, never cared about it. But as a kid, we lived in a little town. And I say town, it really wasn't a town. Uh I think it had a Catholic church and a Catholic school there, and it had one bar, and it was the only place you could buy a soda pop as a kid. And we'd go in there in the daytime, get our soda pop or maybe a candy bar. But I, I can never remember how dark it was in there. You know, sin likes darkness, doesn't it? Huh? It does. And and that's not just only those places and things like that. And, and you know, that's not my point tonight. But. The incarnation brings light to the hidden things of darkness. And the presence of the Holy One, now think about this, the one that John said in chapter 1 was the true light. And so his presence served as a brilliant light. And I want to tell you, that light began to shine In a room that had been long neglected. And the roaches began to run. That light revealed how filthy the room was. John 15 verse
1: 22.
0: Thank you, Phyllis. Now, here in John 15, verse 22, Jesus is speaking comparatively. Now, how long has sin existed? Yeah, since Adam and Eve. And as evil as man has been throughout history since that time, the coming of God to earth, and hear me well, it brought sin to a climax think about that. It brought sin to a climax. And as bad as sin was since Adam and Eve, all of that sin was really a trifling thing when you compare it to the horrible wickedness they did when love became flesh. When God tabernacled among us. The love of God. And so we see how they treated the very Son of God. The one who came to save us from our sins. And we see what they did and how they treated him. And we see sin in his true colors. The disguise is gone, (laughs) and we see the hideous reality of sin. Because sin at its core is nothing less than rebellion against God. God sent a Savior, and the Jews said, what? We don't want Him. We don't want him. So, at Calvary, we see the climax of sin. The fearful, the horrible length that tells us how far sin is capable of going as far as killing the only begotten son of God. Phyllis, you mentioned a moment ago that sin began in the garden, and it did. And so what germinated in Eden culminated at Calvary. It came to a climax. In fact, God had told Adam and Eve, if you sin, you shall Surely died. So the first sin brought about spiritual suicide. The second sin that we read about is when Cain murdered his brother Abel and that was fratricide. What brought that? Sin. But when we come to Calvary, it resulted in deicide. The Lord of glory was killed. The Lord of glory was killed. Now, by the way, I understand God allowed it. And Dan, you were right. It was predetermined by God. But does that relieve men of our guilt? No. But it does show how far we're willing to go when we allow sin to control our lives. But also, when I look at Calvary, I see the horrible wages of sin. Because even on Calvary, Calvary, well, by the way, did Jesus just swoon or did he die? He died. The wages of sin is what? Death. But remember, sin always remain, always means separation. Right? If you die physically, we're separate from this world. you die spiritually, you're separate from God. And, of course, when the Bible says the wages of sin is death, he's talking primarily about spiritual death, okay? But physical death's included. And so, there on Calvary, we see death and separation from God. In fact, how bad what, what did Jesus feel like on Calvary? About his relationship to God. Like I'm separate from God. And I know his story, I'm sorry, theologians debate that. Was he, was he, did God really forsake him? No, not the issue here. Regardless, how did he feel? He felt like it. And so we see death and we see separation from God. And Christ was hanging there. And he was there as our sin bearer. Now think about that. How many sins of his own was he taking on? Why? Right. He was perfect. He didn't have his own. But he was bearing our sin. And his punishment was the punishment I should have had. Yeah, he received the punishment due to us. So what do we see at Calvary? We see, number one, the character of man, the character of sin, but oh, we see the character of God. Oh, what a truth. David said, the heavens declare the glory of God. And even the firmament above shows his handiwork. And I don't dispute that. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. On the cross, we see his perfection clearer than anywhere else in history. On the cross we see the indescribable holiness of God. Now remember, God is a holy, holy, holy God. And on the cross, we see it clearly displayed. He came to take care of our sins. So what is the holiness of God? A lot of things involved there. But at its root, the holiness of God is his delight that he has in all that is pure, all that is lovely. And because of that, his very nature burns against anything and everything that is evil. The holiness of God. Oh, man, isn't that good? He was willing to do it. Willing. Thank you, Phyllis. Remind me of that. Isaiah 53, look at verse 6. Dan, that first word in verse 6, you just read it. What is that first word? All. What does it mean, Dan? Everyone. What does that include? Everyone. Everyone. Me, you, anyone who's ever lived. <laughs> now remember, we're the ones that went astray. We're the ones who had gone our own way. And God laid on Christ the sin of us all. Every one of us was laid upon him. Now make sure we understand what I'm about to say because I don't want to take it uh, in the wrong way because certainly I don't want to commit blasphemy. But how many know that God hates sin wherever it is found? Isn't that true? Now remember, Christ was our sin bearer on Calvary. And if you understand the principle here, on Calvary, the sins of the whole world were placed on who? On Jesus. Say it again. Yeah. That's why he came. Yeah. Exactly. And here's the key, folks. Now remember, God hates sin no matter where it's at. And I think that being true, he made no exception Of Jesus when he saw it imputed on his beloved son. And it was there that God laid the sins of all humanity. Now, do you think God loved that sin? He hated it. And so he dealt with Christ accordingly. And he poured out the wrath I deserved and guess who he poured it out on? Jesus. Because God hates sin. Habakkuk 1:13. Are you in Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13? Now, I may have given you the wrong verse. Okay, thank you, Phyllis. Let me put this in context, because uh, I don't like pulling verses out of context uh God is telling Habakkuk, actually Habakkuk had kind of, I don't know, called God to the carpet, I guess. And just kind of paraphrasing, uh, Habakkuk said, Lord, look at these people, they're sinning. What are you going to do about it? And I'm paraphrasing, God says, Habakkuk, if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. He says, I'm going to bring the Babylonians in. And the Babylonians are going to come and punish my people, and take them to captivity. Of course, Habakkuk was stunned. And his question was to God, said, Look, I know that you are so pure, your eyes cannot behold sin. So Habakkuk, in the context, was saying, Why would you allow these more sinful people to come and punish us? Well, that's that's the context. But when the Bible says that God is too pure to look at sin, what does that mean? He can't tolerate it. No matter where it's at, right? Whether it's the Habakkuk's day, our day, or even on Calvary. And so God is a purer eyes than to behold evil. And he cannot look on iniquity. So it became dark that day at noon. Now whether or not it actually happened or literally or not, many believe he turned his back on the sin bearer. Go to Psalm 22, look at verse 1. Look at the question. Thank you, Dan. Now, this is a Psalm of David, and certainly it applies to something David was going through, and he felt like God had forsaken him. And his question is, Lord, why? Why have you forsaken me? And in verse 3, same psalm, we have the answer. Look what it says, verse 22, verse 3. Psalm 22, verse 3. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. God hates sin, no matter where it is. So when I look at Calvary, we see the character of man the character of sin, the character of God. But we also see, now hear me well, God's inflexible justice. How many know that God is holy? How many know that God is just? Is he just 90% of the time? No, I wish you would. Thank you, Phyllis. Good thought. Ezekiel 18, verse 20. Okay, thank you, Phyllis. The soul that sins shall what? Shall die. Exodus 34, verse 7. Can I remember? The Bible is clear. Anyone who sins will do what? Die. Cannot be deviated from. The Bible says that God will never, by any means, clear the guilty. First Peter 1.19 Peter says this: "But with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot." Anybody got Romans 8:32? Thank you, Dan. Now, I want to try to make sure I'm making myself clear here. And I know you know the answer, but again, did Jesus ever sin? No. But we do know this. Jesus Christ, the one who knew no sin, became what? Sin. That we might become the righteous of God in Him. So Christ became sin. Now, hear me. And those who sin must do what? Die. God's justice is not (laughs) wishy-washy. And so he didn't make an exception of the one who the Bible says was a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus died. Not because he sinned, but sin was on. He became sin for you and I. And again... He was sent us by nature, sent us in actions, but because our sins was laid upon him, God could not, and he did not, spare his own son, because his justice remains the same. And I realize that's a little bit difficult to understand since Christ never sinned, but folks, he became sin. And he died for that. Zechariah 13, look at verse 7. Thank you, Phyllis. Now remember who gave the command to the sword to rise? God did. And he says to the sword smite the shepherd. Kill the shepherd. He's referring to Jesus Christ. Romans two verse 11. What does that mean? We're not. And not only that, God treats everybody the same. Everybody. Isaiah 42, look at verse 1. Thank you, Phyllis. Now let's see if we can kind of put this in our mind. Oh my goodness, we've got to quit here. Because sin was transferred to Christ. Now remember, the one who didn't know sin became sin. But because sin was transferred to him, he had to face punishment. And that's why God cried out, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Against the man that's my fellow, smite the shepherd. God would not back off one dot, one iota, one comma, one, what do you want to put on there? From his righteousness. And he would never allow anyone to dishonor his justice. Now remember, he is the excellent judge. He doesn't show respect to anyone. And he demonstrated on Calvary when he refused to exempt his son from the punishment of our sins. How many know that on Calvary Jesus occupied the place of the guilty? God is a great God. We've got a couple more things to talk about next week. But aren't you glad for Calvary tonight? God is so good. Let's take a few moments tonight and go to the Lord in prayer. As always, we do want to remember all those on our prayer list. We want to pray that God would just speak to their hearts. and God would bring healing to their body. I pray especially for those who have lost loved ones recently. Pray that God would encourage them. Uh, as far as I know, it's been kind of quiet on the prayer chain this week, but do I, are there any special requests out there that... We need to share tonight. Anyone at all? Yes, Ruby. <coughs> wow. Let's pray for that. that. That you know, God knows the need there. Yes, Rick. Oh man. Let's pray for that situation. God knows that too. My goodness. Wanna be a great day when we don't hear no more about cancer? Or tests? Yes, Paul? I'm not sure what's wrong with him, you know, Vern Brown. Yes. Vern
1: was second to the hospital day and they're keeping for a day or two that I'm not sure. Something about his silence, his weakness and I'm
0: not sure. Let's do pray for Vern Brown. I've been a friend of
1: you. Yeah, you've been a friend
0: of yours for years. I've met him several times. I do pray for him. I don't mean to be like a broken record. I do pray for my dad. Uh, he went to the heart doctor. They ain't got a clean bill of health there, but he's still got a spiritual heart problem. So pray for him. And I'm praying that God will just speak to his heart and draw him to Christ. Anyone else we pray tonight? Folks, thank you so much for coming out. Thank you for loving the word of God tonight. And and uh, I appreciate you because of your love for the, of the Lord. I know that. And uh man, I'm so I'm so glad to be a part of the family of God. Let's stand together. Charlie, Glover, would you pray for us, please?
1: Amen.